I'm Bishop Sherman Young. Each week, the Word Break podcast answers questions about God, faith, and other spiritual issues. Here is this week's message. And we started off in Revelation, and we talked about the church prophetically, where we must go. Last night, we talked about the local church and leadership. Tonight, we talk about money. I want to talk to you tonight about taking dominion over your finances. Would you say that after me? Taking dominion over your finances. Now let's say it with a stronger voice together, everyone. Taking dominion over your finances. I want you to look at your neighbor. Look them in the eye if you can stand and look at them. And if they don't have bad breath, repeat after me. Do you have dominion? over your money now to do that 1st Samuel chapter 22 1st Samuel chapter 22 it is interesting as you find that and if the sound technician can give me just a little bit more monitor. It is interesting as you find that, that we are living in a time where the church can freely address financial situations. In my talk to you on last night about my own father, I remember in his ministry the struggle that he had. Because in those days, preachers were not really allowed to talk about money. Do you remember the old church said there's a difference in spirit and finance? They would say that, Reverend Moore, money kills the spirit. And so the pastors had handcuffs on. And because they handcuffed the pastor the people stayed in poverty. So poor was the church that we would have to call on other churches to come over and help our church. So we'd put on two and three o'clock programs and, and choir festivals with A and B selections. We'd get in our cars and run over chickens and kill them so we could fry them. take out our guns and shoot the hogs so we could sell the chitlins. We had to have money. We never did understand that the reason we didn't have any money was because we wouldn't let the man of God teach us about money. And therefore, every time we went to church, we heard about how to be saved all over again, even though many of us had been saved for decades. Especially in the Baptist church, the Baptist preacher preached salvation every Sunday. Nicodemus, the prodigal son, dry bones in the valley. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. And so we were good and saved and broke. And we got so used to being broke until we started testifying about how good it was to be broke. 
And we'd be thankful to God that we didn't have any of this old world's goods because this old world's goods distract you from God. A lady in a church that I was pastoring once in another city in this state testified one night, I'm glad that I don't have this world's money because money gets in the way of your relationship with God. That's how poorly we read the Bible. And we thought that to be saved and poor was to please God. And we imposed that on the pulpit. We said to the pastor, you know, in the same strength and idea, Lord, if you keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. And so the biggest fights in our churches was over the money. The women raised the money and the men spent it. Women weren't even allowed to go to the business meetings where the money was discussed, but they were the ones who raised it, but I don't have any witnesses in here tonight. Church became a charity, and the United States government classifies us as a charity. And people giving offerings would call it a donation. How dare you? Think that you can donate to the kingdom of God. God is so high you can't go over him. So low you can't go under him. So wide you can't go around him. How can you ever donate? If I'm donating to God's work, it means I have more than God does. And so we say we're going to come right here now and take up this little collection. And down at Mount Nebo and Baptist Home, the deacons would rake the coins off the collection table into the plate. And then they would make their report after the sermon. The church clerk or secretary would come down front and read off the report. Anybody remember those days? February 21st, report as follows. Sunday school, nine dollars. Poor offering. That's because it was the poorest offering in the church. $10. Ward number one, $6. Ward number two, $12. Ward number three, $15. And then they'd read off the disbursements. And so they'd go down the line. Musician, $5. Pastor, I remember the first Sunday my father got $25. $25. I shook my head and said, boy, we are rich. Said, Pastor's offering $25. And then they said, Sexton, $3. Now, I was a boy. I didn't know what that was, but it didn't sound right to me. Sexton. I was trying to figure out what that was. Then I wanted to know if it was what I thought it was. Why did the church have one? And if the church has one, why is he getting paid? I didn't know it was the janitor. I don't know why they didn't call it the janitor. Somebody say that was then. Hear the word of the Lord in 1 Samuel 22 verse 1. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. 
So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them and there were about 400 men with him. Does that sound familiar? Sounds about like your church. When you talk about the profile of your members, everyone who was in distress, you got any distressed folk in your church? Everyone who was in debt, anybody in your church in debt? Or is everybody in there in debt? And everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And he became captain, leader, pastor over them. The pastors have people under you who are in distress, discontented, and in debt. And our role is to teach them until they're not distressed, not discontented, and not in debt. I wish I had a witness tonight. The truth is that the Bible teaches us that God is interested in my total life. Would you repeat after me? God is interested in my spiritual, physical, and fiscal health. God is interested in my spiritual, physical, and fiscal health. God is just as interested in my financial health as he is in my physical health. And it is the role of the church to make sure that people get an understanding of that. Now, understand that wealth was originally created for God's man. When you read the Bible in the book of Genesis, you see that God put everything here, made everything beautiful, made everything luscious and luxurious, made everything wonderful, and then made man. Adam didn't have to go grow a garden. The garden was already there. And God made the garden for the man. God doesn't need a garden. God didn't need fruit hanging on the tr from the tree. God didn't need that. God didn't need the four rivers that irrigated the garden. He made that for his man, Adam. Because God intended that Adam would have all of that as a part of his life. And you understand that God loved Adam and made that for Adam. But man became poor because of the devil and because of sin. So poverty is related to Satan and sin, not to God. God's will was that man have everything he needed. God's will was that man could lay, lay back fat and fine and enjoy all that God had created. I wish I had a little more help. God's will was that man enjoyed this earth. And he put the gold in this earth, the oil in this earth. God put all the diamonds in this earth, the precious stones for mankind. But when man met Satan and man sinned, he became poor. 
Now, you can close the door in the face of the devil in your own life. I know you may think that God is involved in you not having any more than you have, but that's just not true. God is not keeping you poor. God is not keeping you broke, and God doesn't want you in debt. God does I wish I had a witness here. You see, God doesn't want you to have to stretch your money to get from one pay period to the next. God doesn't want you to be put in a position where you're borrowing and borrowing and begging and asking. God doesn't want you to be in a position where you are not able to enjoy the creature comforts of the earth. They were made for you. Even Israel, God's people, had a promise of abundant wealth. When you read Deuteronomy chapter 8, God said, I'm going to bring you into a promised land. A land where the fruit is so big, the grapes are so big, it's going to take a team of men to carry them. I'm bringing you into a place where you've got houses you didn't build, where you've got wealth in abundance. Now, if God would do that for his people, what would he do for his children? So you have to remember all that Israel did was in the flesh. Their worship was in the flesh. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come upon the kings and upon the priests and the prophets, but the ordinary person, Israelite, they had never experienced the Holy Ghost. They didn't even know what it was, what it felt like. And when he came to do anything in the world, he'd come and spend a very short period of time upon the person that he was empowering and then go back to heaven. And they were under the law and we're under grace. Now, why would God want us to have less under grace than the people of Israel had under the law? If we have a better covenant with better promises, we're supposed to have a better blessing. And there's something wrong, Bishop Sylvester, when I read the word and God says to his people, not his children, to his people. Here's what I'm going to give you. Here's the way it's going to be. Here's how you're going to enjoy. He said, and don't get big headed when I do what I'm going to do for you. Don't forget who it was because I'm doing this for you. I'm not doing it because of who you are. I'm doing it because of who I am. I'm doing it because you represent me in the earth. And other nations have other gods, but I need those other nations to see how good your God is. I'm going to bless you so that the other nations will know you serve the true and living God. They have gods who have ears but can't hear. Their gods have hands but they can't feel. Their gods have mouths but they can't speak. But you have Jehovah, the ever-revealing one. You have the one that ever reveals himself as your provider. I am Jehovah Jireh. I am your peace, Jehovah Shalom. I am Jehovah Nisi, your banner of victory. And I need the other nations to know by your material prosperity. Because no matter how loud you sing and shout, If you're not showing or demonstrating prosperity that people can readily see, they don't pay you any attention. You get through singing and shouting and go out and get in an old car and it's smoking headed down the road. I don't have a witness here. The book of Ecclesiastes talks about a man that lived in a city and the city got in great trouble. 
and it said that by this one man's wisdom, the city was saved. It said, but he was poor and nobody remembered him. You can be a wise preacher. You can be a wise teacher. You can be anointed. You can be a great praise leader. You can be great on the praise team, great in the choir, masterful in the house of God. But unless your faith is working at a place where people can see it. And pastors, it's a shame to have to raise money in order to pay interest. And make somebody else prosperous. I wish I had a witness right there. It's a shame that we have to set out tables and tables and send out special envelopes and have special days and special offerings just so we can make a payment and the payment is going to the interest rather than the principal. Somebody else is getting wealthy off the Lord's money. And we don't even know if they know the Lord or not. I wish... And here we are, the chosen, the call, the royal priesthood, kings and priests under God. And we come up here Sunday after Sunday and say, we don't have enough. We got the lights this week, we don't have enough. We got the bus payment this week, we don't have enough. We got the mortgage this week, we don't have enough. We, we've got the rent, the lease to pay. We don't have enough. We got the building program. We don't have enough. And listen, God has it all. And if God has it all and we are God's children and we are the body of Christ, we are the only thing of Christ on the earth. But the reason I'm talking to you about it is because we forget church is the people. The reason the church is broke, the people are broke. Oh, I know you. Oh, I know you. If you had the money, if you hit the lottery where you've been driving over to Georgia to get your ticket, right there at exit two, what, what exit is that? As soon as you cross the line. I won't comment. you i hear you talking i heard you tell reverend moore if i had the money i'd pay this church off see i know you're not withholding the money you ain't got it let any saint stand up right now if you had the money that you wouldn't help your church that you wouldn't buy the property your church needs the houses it needs that you wouldn't buy the, the, the edifice that it needs or fund it yourself. How much does it cost? Well, $2 million. Go ahead and build it, Pastor. Why don't you do it? Now, I run into saints all the time say so they would do it if they had it. But, baby, listen, God ain't really interested in what you would do with what you don't have. He's really interested in what you're doing with what you do have. Now, when you take money, there's only three activities you can do with money. Spend it, save it, and sow it. There's nothing else you can do with it. Spend it, 
save it, and sow it. There's nothing else you can do with money. Three things. Spend it. Save it. Sow it. The problem is, that's the order that we handle our money in. And so for most saints, after they get a check and start spending, they have nothing to save or sow. See, when you spend, you get the immediate result of the money. You spend $100 on something worth $100, you've got the value of the $100. And the only thing that happens is whatever you bought depreciates. You may have paid 20000 for that car, but when you drove it off the lot, it became worth 17000 But when you save, you get, you get an immediate reward, and the value remains the same. There's no depreciation there. So I'm going to save this money. If I save $100, I've got $100. And if I have it in an interest-bearing account, it can grow. When I spend it, I lose it. When I save it, I keep it. But when you sow, that has future reward. It always returns multiplied. See, the problem in church is that we've got to train ourselves to sow first, save second, and spend last. Now, here we are right here in tax refund season. And you're so excited about your refund. You know why? Because you want to spend it. I'd be glad I get that check. I got to get me another car. I'm glad when I get that check. I need another washing machine. I got to get me a dryer. When I get that check, I got to get, I got to get that fixed at the house. That's just driving me crazy. Nobody thinks about when we get the check, give it to God. What if every member in this church said in 2020, we're going to go ahead and plan now that every tax refund check that comes into Bethel will be given to God. The church would be debt free. I wish I could find a witness. And you see the thing about that tax refund money, you don't even think about it coming on until it gets close to January. So it's not like you really need it. But it just looks so good. And so many times we get that tax refund all laid out. We got it coming. We know it's coming. We're all excited. I'm getting $8,000 back. And you keep waiting and you keep waiting and you keep waiting. And finally you call and say, where's my $8,000? And they said, we put it on your student loan. You're in a rearage. Everybody say, I must train myself. Listen, listen. The reason why you spend first and then try to save and try to sow is because you train yourself to do it that way. Mama taught you how to spend money. You watched her spend it. You watched your father spend it. You watched big mama spend it. You watch my dear spend it. You watch grandmama spend it. And you dreamed of the day when you could spend your own money. Not save your own money or sow your own money, but spend your own money. 
And then you got your first job and got that first check and you put on the biggest party you could and you spin it. I got to have work clothes, got to have work shoes. I got, I got to look good. I'm getting ready to go out on a date. Got a concert coming up to the Civic Center in Birmingham or over in Atlanta at the Dome. I got to look good. I can't go over there to see Maxwell looking like this. Beyonce coming. I got to go see B. I got to look right. And so I got to get my hair done. I got to get my nails done. I got to get my toes done. I got to get fancy. I got to get the right. I got to get, and then I, I, then, then I, I can't just wear anything. I got to wear something to show me off. Get me some leather pants real tight. Got to look sexy. I ain't going that far and ain't looking sexy. I want somebody to turn their head when I walk by. We are great spenders. We're great spenders. You pass by a rented house and it's got an old car in the yard sitting up on $4,000 worth of rims. $900 worth of car on $4,000 worth of tires. Come on, we're good at spending. We are ghetto fabulous. I got to have it. Got to have my designer bag. I got to have it. And we have trained ourselves to spend ourselves broke. Because we're always counting the money to make sure we got at least enough to get lunch until the next check comes. Then we go to church. And while sitting up in the church, a call goes out. Because the Lord teaches us in the Bible that the man of God, the person in the pulpit, should call on the saints for the work of God. But the saints went to a concert in Atlanta Friday night. And they don't have the money. So you know what? You know, a man, let me tell you this, sisters. A man never gets upset with his wife about asking him for money unless he doesn't have it when she asks him. Come on, fellas. If, if the sister asks him for 20, if he got 20, he'll give her 30. But if he ain't got the money, what you think I am? Every time look around, ask me for money. I ain't no money tree. Give me, give me, give me. That's all his family does. Talking about the boy need another pair of shoes. I just bought him some shoes at Christmas. The dude got intimidated because his woman asked him for something he couldn't provide. That's the way church members are when the pastor asks you for an offering and you ain't got it. I ain't coming back to this church. All they ask for is money. Only reason you said that because you didn't have none. And it put you in a position where you felt embarrassed when the only person that knew that you didn't have any money was you. 
I started preaching across the street at the great Beulah Baptist Church, and I was so broke, and I was working every day. I used to actually excuse myself from the pulpit at offering time. Because Reb had all of us on the pulpit. He had, he had nine chairs up there, nine preachers in the chairs. And I would go to the men's room because I didn't want the church to see that I didn't have any money to put in the offering. And you feel the same way. And so people will leave church and say, well, I, I won't find me another church. Well, 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 they just want money, money, money. You know why they want money, money, money? Because they need money, money, money. You know why they need money, money, money? Because you ain't give no money, money, money. Everybody says, so, first, save, second, spend last. In sowing, you pay God. In saving, you pay yourself. And after you paid God and after you paid yourself, then you got something to spend. See, the Bible refers to money as the Christian seed. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 11. If you want to find it or if you can put it behind me. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 11. And I'm going to read it from the Good News Bible. Paul is writing this. But this I say, verse 6, 2 Corinthians 9. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. In other words, if you sow nitty, you reap nitty. But he who sows bountifully, what the church said, bountifully, said in a good, strong, victorious voice, bountifully. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart not grudgingly or of necessity for God loves the hilarious giver the laughing giver the word cheerful is the Greek holoros the hilarious giver and God is able to make all grace abound toward you listen to this that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. What is that saying? That's saying God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you will be sufficient to give generously in every good work. The van, the bus, the property. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad. God has dispersed abroad. God has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you've sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Repeat after me. God is able to supply seed to the sower, not seed to the spender. Seed to the sower. What what are you saying? God furnishes the seed. When God knows that you are a sower, he is the one that will give you something to sow. But if he knows that you are a spender, he won't bless you with seed because you will take that money and, and spend it on yourself. See, Bethel is the Lord's church. 
If I'm in Bethel and I'm a sower, how else is Bethel going to prosper unless the sower puts the seed in Bethel? And God knows my heart. He knows if he gives me seed and I'm selfish, Bethel will never see that money. So where does the seed come from for you to put in your envelope tonight? Where does it come from? I don't hear you. It comes from? And then God turns around and produces the harvest from that seed he gave you. But because you are the sower, you get the benefit. In other words, God will make you rich enough to be generous. He's not about making you rich for you to show out. He's not about making you rich so you can brag, but he will make you rich enough to be generous when it's time to sow. Why don't people sow? Why don't people sow in church? You know what they say? Because I ain't got nothing to sow. Then the Bible is a lie and God is a lie. Because the Bible just said he gives seed to the sower. See, what you got to understand is that job that you have where you get your check, that's your seed. Your check is not a blessing. Your check is your road to the blessing. See, you got to understand what you got under your control. You earn a check from your job, your place of work, or the government. The reason why, you see... Your job ain't taking care of you. God is. Hey, I've known a bunch of unemployed people. I've never seen any one of them die of starvation. Matter of fact, you gain weight when you're unemployed. You know why? Because God is your source. Say, God is my source. Don't ever think that the job you have is what's taking care of you. I know you went to school. I know you got your degrees on the wall. I know you're proud and you're making a good salary. But that $100,000 a year salary is a 100000 C. The saints have to understand that all that I have, God gave it to me. God doesn't need a job to take care of me. The righteous are not forsaken. I don't have a witness. The seed of the righteous don't beg for bread. God doesn't have to have a job to take care of you. He can take care of you without a job. But he wants you to keep a good work ethic because he don't like laziness. Oh, I don't have a witness here. He put all that wealth in the garden in Eden for Adam and then looked at Adam and said, now you got to take care of it. You would think if he gave Adam all of that, he'd just say, Adam, just lay back and enjoy. He said, no, you got to take care of that. And so God, God is in work. Sister, please tell your lazy boyfriend, God wants him to work. Grandma, go home and tell that grandson, get up off of your couch. Girlfriend, tell your man, stop playing video games at 35 years old. Get your lazy self up and go to work. 
Sisters, I wish y'all would help us out. See, these dudes wouldn't do what they do if he didn't have a woman somewhere co-signing it. Some girl somewhere is giving him money. Some girl somewhere is feeding him. Some girl somewhere is looking out for him. And if she ever wakes up, oh, I don't have a witness around here. But honey, you think you got to have a man that bad that you got to sponsor him, feed him, clothe him, take care of him, and kiss on him? Go to work. God is about work. Even Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. I must work while it is day. These lazy men laying around all day. They don't work while it's day and don't work while it's night. No, God gave you a job, child of God, so you can have seed to put in his kingdom. That's why you have a job. Oh, no, no, Bishop, I I have the job. I prayed and asked the Lord because I needed to take care of my responsibility. No, you've got the job so you can have seed to take care of God's responsibility because you are a child of faith. You're supposed to be walking by faith. You're not walking as the world walks. You're walking by faith. Why don't people so? Well, the lack of love for God. Lack of knowledge. Say lack of knowledge. Victim of their own vanity. Say that. Victim. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got to look right. Impulsive debt. Say impulsive debts. Some people, if they got a little money in their pocket, my mama say it's burning their pocket. They got to have the latest, greatest everything. They got $800 phone. Don't even know how to hang it up. They look right at that little red button and say, wonder what happened if I push that button. Lack of family accountability. Say lack of family accountability. Husband and wives ought to keep each other in check when it comes to things like that. That's why Ananias and Sapphira died. The Bible said Ananias sold a piece of land because he saw Barnabas sell a piece. Barnabas gave 100% of the proceeds to the kingdom. Ananias must have gotten more than what he thought he was going to get. and he, You know how some folk are. If, if somebody else gave 200 and you got 400, you're not going to give four because they didn't give but two. You're going to give 210. And it said his wife was in agreement with the scam. Can you imagine spirit-filled, Holy Ghost, tongue-talking folk conspiring as a family to defraud God? Somebody in here would be given, but your husband says no. Somebody here would give more, but your wife said, well, we got these bills. There needs to be some family accountability to God. 
We stand in front of God in the presence of God in this assembly. We stand here and enter into marriage with one another and then go out and defraud and rob God. Well, seeds produce after that kind. Let me run. Seeds produce after that kind. If you sow cussing, you reap cussing. Am I wrong here? You get in an argument, get in a fight, you call, some, you call somebody a name, what do they do? They call you a name. You reaped what you just sowed. Well, love is the same way. You give love, it produces compliments. You look nice today. Oh, thank you. You look nice too. Well, money produces money. See, in church, we think everything produces money but money. We try to pray for money. Where is that in the Bible? That's not the right seed for money. Mm -mm. See, there are certain laws set in place. Prayer doesn't substitute for the law. You have an altar call. Some people come down for prayer. So why did you come down? I need a financial breakthrough. Do you tithe? No, what's that got to do with it? Because, baby, the prayer ain't going to work. You're supposed to be having financial trouble. Jesus said in Matthew 6, don't store up riches for yourselves here on earth where moths and thieves destroy and robbers break in and steal. Instead, store up riches for yourselves where? In heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and robbers cannot break in and steal for your heart will always be where your riches are. He said, you have an account. Everybody repeat after me. I have an account in heaven. Well, listen, there's only two ways to make a deposit in that account. Tithing and investing in the gospel. That's it. You said, but I give to the poor and I give to charity. Well, that's cool, but ain't no blessing attached to that. The Bible said he that gives to the poor lends to the Lord. If I give a poor man $20, I just loan God $20. God's going to pay me back $20. He ain't giving me back 30 The Bible never teaches you that if you give to the poor, you move up in prosperity. You give to the poor because you had it and they didn't. You're supposed to help your brother. You're supposed to help your sister. You don't help the poor in order that you can get something back. No strings attached to giving the folk that don't have when you have. Tithing. Tithing is not about God. I'm sorry. Tithing is about God, not about you. Tithing is about God. He said do it. You know why we practice tithing in the church? He said do it. Now back then, when we didn't know any better, we didn't know no better. And, and, and I mean, listen, if a child is six years old, you don't expect them to behave like an 18-year-old. Or you don't expect a 10th grade student to know as much as a PhD in a certain field. Well, we didn't know any better. That's why we had dues and had to pay dues in choir rehearsal and had to pay dues in Sunday school and had to pay dues in BTU and had to pay dues in the ushers meeting and had to pay dues in the crusaders, had to pay dues in the sunbeam and then we put a little scripture onto it. We didn't know any better. 
And then we paid dues in the church. When my father pastored, they paid $2 to the church and $1 to the pastor. And we had a lady there who tried to pay a tithe one time. Because, see, you have to remember, the old preachers walked in as much light as they had at that time. And I remember my father, Reverend C., called her in the office. That's the only time I've ever known him to know what anybody really put in an envelope. But the people counting the money thought he ought to see because she had written the word tithe. Because tithe wasn't on that church's envelope. Dues. And she came in there and he said, where do you get this from? I said, where do you, this right here, you wrote on it. What do you know about that? Well, I heard Reverend J.H. Thompson talk about that at the association. He said, well, we don't do that here. He said, now your dues is $2. And you take this back and you put $2 in here and we go on. But you see, they were walking in as much light as they had. Oh, I'm going to tell the truth if you let me. Will y'all let me tell the truth? There were preachers in this city just didn't know any better. F.D. Holly just didn't know any better. And they would teach and preach against it, not because they were evil or bad. They had just not come into the light of it. I'm growing up in church over here. That never appeared. We never heard. Only thing we heard was try me and see I'll open the windows of heaven. But they walked in the light that they had. We got more light now. We're not paying dues. You think dues built this? You think dues would retire this? No, no dues and no don'ts. Tithing is your first test of obedience after you get baptized. When you get baptized, the next thing you need to get ready to do is pay a tithe. See, why? Don't you know, I got baptized at 11 years old down in the country. Don't you know if I had started tithing as soon as I got my first little income, how blessed I would be today. I didn't start tithing until I was a preacher because I'd been taught that it wasn't for us. The tithe is God's special substance. It belongs to him. Leviticus 27.30 says the tithe is the Lord's. Malachi 3, you remember that? It said, will a man rob God? He receives the tithe on earth. Can you find Hebrews 7 and 8? I'm taking my time tonight. I know you have to go to work tomorrow, but they're ending the meeting on Tuesday. And if I leave tonight and don't tell you this, I'm going to repent all night long. And if you want me to get some sleep tonight, you need to walk with me through this for these few minutes. I was in a rush last night preaching against the clock. I ain't doing that tonight. I mean, hallelujah, you got somewhere to go. We'll still be here, you know, run on, come on back. But I'm going to do what the Lord said do, not what you may expect me to do. Hebrews 7 and 8. Because it's very important that we understand what God is requiring. Hebrews 7 and 8. It's talking about the tithe. Talk about when Abraham, who instituted the tithe. Somebody said, well, I thought tithing was under the law. No, it started in the book of Genesis. Anything that starts in Genesis continues until the end of time. See, Prayer started in Genesis, Genesis 4. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. They prayed under the law too, but they picked up prayer. It was already going on. 
Grace started in Genesis. Grace is still going on. Tithing started in Genesis 14. Tithing still is going on. In verse 7 and Hebrews 7 and 8 said here, and that means down here, mortal men receive tithe, but there he receives them. There means up there. Everybody say up there. Up there he receives them of whom it, it witnesses that he lives. Down here, mortal men, me, preachers, leaders here, we receive your tithe. You bring them up. We receive. But tithe is the only money that moves from earth to heaven. We receive it here and he receives it there because it's his. Oh, you understand what I'm saying? Little boy asked me years ago, said, Pastor, how does the money get from earth up to heaven? No, spiritually. You pay $100 tithe here, it's recorded in heaven. It goes in your heavenly bank account. Got a bank account? You know how you get your statement? When the statement come out, when your tithe, if heaven printed the bank account, your tithe will be on your statement. If you're not tithing, your statement's got a zero on it. I don't care how many poor people you help. It's got a zero on it. That's why you pay your tithe at your church. You don't use it and give to your sister because her lights got turned off and there's no heat in her house. You do that out of your money. You know, I do preach a sermon called How to Tithe Without Using Your Money. I ain't got time to preach it tonight, but I'll tell you how it go. You want to know how it go? It ain't your money. The tithe is the Lord's. When you use it for yourself, God said, you stole that from me. The tithe is the Lord. It's not yours. It's not yours when you put it in an, uh, his when you put it in an envelope. It's his when you got your check. It was his as soon as you got a check. That, as soon as they put it in your account, 10% of that belonged to God automatically. If you bring it to him, he records it in heaven. What does he need with it in heaven? I'm so glad you asked. Look at chapter 8 of Hebrews. Just one chapter next to it. Verse 1. Now this is the main point of the things we're saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts. Everybody say gifts. And sacrifice, say sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one, capital O, uppercase O, also have something to offer. When we said Jesus is making intercession for us in heaven, that doesn't mean he's just praying. It means he's doing the work of intercession as a high priest. It means that he carries into the throne of God the gifts and sacrifices of the people. The reason I pay tithe is because when I pay tithe, it is recorded in heaven and Jesus carries it and presents it to God. I am represented in heaven's worship experience. If I don't pay tithe on the earth, I'm not represented in heaven's worship. That's why I can't be blessed. Because as far as the role being called up there at worship time, my name ain't on the roll. Am I saved? Yes. I'm still saved. But listen, saved is for the next life. I'm trying to get something going on in this life. I'm about finished. But listen, it's the standard of abundance. It's the symbol of the covenant. Say symbol of the covenant. Anybody married in here? 
Anybody got on a wedding ring, wedding band? You got that on? What do you have that on for? Sister, you wear that. Listen, when, when he put that ring on your finger, that was to tell other men back off she's spoken for. When he put that ring on your hand, that's to remind you that you've spoken for, just in case you see somebody else you think is cute. Every covenant has a symbol, a visible symbol. The communion, what, I don't see the communion. This is a fancy church. You probably got it where it just rolls out by itself or something. Huh? The communion table is the symbol of the covenant. Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. It's the covenant that we have with his blood and his body. Well, what is the symbol of the covenant that you're a child of God? The tithe. And when you don't tithe, you're not in covenant with your leader. When your leader stands here and says, let's bring the Lord his tithe, and you sit there and say, uh-uh. Uh-uh, I'm spending this. Uh-uh, I done, I done spent that. You are at enmity with your leader. You're saying your leader's not preaching the truth. You're saying your leader is lying across the pulpit. You're saying that your leader, your leader is not a man of God. Because if he were, you would fear what he preaches on. Not fear him, but you would fear not submitting to the truth of God. And if you're a leader in the church and you're not tithing, you should not be a leader. I love you, but you need to sign your resignation tonight. And just be honest about it and say, I'm not doing it and I don't see how I can. And pastor, I'm resigning. We shouldn't have to fire you. You ought to fire yourself. Oh, I don't have a witness, but I don't need one to preach the truth. The Holy Ghost is my witness. I know I'm saying what the Lord would have me to say because the time is out for us to sit in God's house in open rebellion against, and baby, let me tell you this. Tithing is elementary school. You should have been doing that when you turned 15. Here you are sitting up in all this glory, all this worship, all this word. How can you walk in the house of God Knowing that every time you breathe one breath out, he shoves another one down your throat. He lets you use his vision to see with your eyes. He lets you hear with his hearing in your ears. He is the one that's all over you and keeping you alive. How can you sit in his presence and shake your fist in his face and say, I don't care what you say. I'll take care of myself. I don't need your blessing. I don't need your outpour of prosperity. I don't need to surrender to you. You will submit to me. I'm not going to bring you a tithe because I don't like my pastor's wife. I'm not going to bring you a tithe because I don't like Deacon Bobo.
get a finance report. They told you you got money in Regents Bank. They say you got $900 up there in a savings account. Have you ever seen that money? Have you ever gone in the bank and said, I want to see my $900? I have a letter here. I get it every quarter. So I got $900 in here. I want to see my money. Have you ever seen it? Do you know what room they keep it? Hold up, son. You know what room they keep it in? Well, how come you got to see it around here? This is not the Masonic Lodge. This is not the Eastern Stars. This is not Charitable Sisters and Brothers Association. This is the work of God led by the man of God. I wish I had a witness. This is the work of God led by the man of God. The money is given to the purpose of God. And if you need a roof on the church, that's not tithe. Don't come in the prayer where, where we need to put a roof on the church. Well, how much is the tithe coming down? That's not tithe money. You need a roof on the church, you start a roof fund. You have to take up offerings for the roof. The purpose of the tithe is to do the work of the ministry, to do the great commission, to take care of the priesthood, to make sure that the voice of the church is heard around the community and around the world, to make sure that God is represented. If you need a van, you set up a van account. Let me finish and let you go home. Because I need to tell you this. There's something called first fruit. And that's not tithe. See, they walked walked in as much light as they had. I come to the Ministers Alliance meeting, and they start talking about tithing. The preachers did. And they said, well, see, tithe is off the top. It's the first fruit. No, it's not the first fruit. That's a whole different category of giving. Because you don't give tithe. You pay tithe. See that breath you just took right there? You got to pay for that. I saw you batting your eyes. You got to pay for that. That's a bill you got to pay. But first fruit is a gift. In the Old Testament, they went out to gather the harvest and everything they gathered on the first day, they brought it to the house of God. And there's no harm in the man of God saying to the people of God, bring one day's wage to the kingdom of God. See, if we had been doing it like that, rather than everybody give $50, everybody ain't got $50. And some could give 500 while others are struggling and begging from their cousins and selling fish out of their own, own, own kitchen at home to bring you 50 dollars but everybody can bring a day's wage whatever that is for you or one week's wage every child of God can do that that's first fruit and there's blessings attached to that the reason you do it is when I bring first fruit it blesses my whole year's salary 
So if you're making 80000 a year and you bring your first fruit, the balance of your salary for that year has special blessing on it. And then the tithe coming out of that, listen, God is going to multiply, multiply. He's going to increase your ability. But then there's the third, and let's go because I, I know you're ready and I'm ready to let you go. The prophet's offering. Say the prophet's offering. Say it better than that, please. P-R-O-P-H-E-T, the prophet offering. Do you know that the Bible says that when, there, when you give to your pastor, God blesses your storage? Matthew 10, 40, Jesus said, whoever welcomes you, talking to the, the apostles, welcomes me. Did you know when you let me come in and preach these three nights, you were welcoming the Lord? Am I the Lord? Honey, no, far from it. But Jesus set this up himself. I'm going to send you out there and whoever welcomes you is the exact same as they welcome me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes God's messenger because he is God's messenger will share in his reward. And whoever welcomes a good man because he is good will share in his reward. You can be sure, Jesus said in Matthew 10, that whoever gives even a drink of cold water to one of these my followers because he is my follower will certainly receive a reward. Let me let you go home. But there is a special blessing attached to you as an individual giving to your pastor. I didn't say as a corporation. Some churches, they want to count the pastor's love offering. That's none of your business. Love offering is an individual gift from one person to another. You just happen to do it in a collection style. But whatever I give to, to, to my pastor, whatever I give to my pastor, that's between me and my pastor. If Dennis Taylor is my pastor and I choose to give Dennis Taylor $50, that's between me and him. That doesn't pass through a filter in the finance room so that somebody can come up and say, well, now, Reverend Taylor, you're getting too much around here because now we're already paying you and now you got folk trying to give you some money. That's between them and their pastor, not you. You have nothing to do with that. They are doing the word of the Lord. Oh, help me tonight, Holy Ghost. I got to find my seat. But one of the reasons we don't have any more to give than we do is because we cheat the prophet. We muzzle God's voice. I have a pastor in this town. The man who licensed me has been with the Lord since 1991. But the man who ordained me is still alive. He's retired now, Dr. E.J. James. I go to see him, and he will tell you of his own mouth, I do not go in his presence without an offering. I'm through here. Reverend H.T. Christophan said to Vernon Swift, you get Sherman Young. We're going to Birmingham Baptist Bible College. 
I said to Vernon Swift, I got another friend, Reverend Moore. Let's all go. We rode up there in Reverend Christopher's brand new Mercury. But I had an advantage over Swift and Moore and Christopher. Reverend James paid my tuition. He called me up to the house. He said, you got a young family. He said, you got some promise in you, son, but you, you, I want you to go to school. He, he knew we needed to go to school. God knew it too. He took out a checkbook. He said, he wrote a check. I never told you this. He wrote a check. He said, now this is for this semester. When this semester is over, you come back. I'm going to give you next semester. When you finish the term, come back. I'm going to give you next year's semester. And next, I, I didn't have to pay. He paid my way through school. And he said, this is from an account that I have to do good works. He said, I pray for people and people get well. And many times they bless me. And I set that money aside so I can help the kingdom of God. And you think every time I go around him, I'm not going to write him a check or put money in his hand? He sold into me. He put seed into me. He deserves to get a harvest out of my hand. Your pastor labors with you, puts up with your foolishness. Mary don't want to sing with Martha. Lazarus quit the usher board. Deacon Peter don't want to pray with Deacon Paul. And then I have to stand up here knowing you got all that mess going on. And still stand up here nice and calm and classy. Lead the worship. When you just come knock on my door, that's why I don't let people knock on my door on Sunday morning because I know it's going to throw me off because whatever they want, it's going to be something I don't want to hear. I got to, I got to deal with all of that. Then I got to pray for you. I'm up in the middle of the night praying for you. You sleep. But I know that you're having trouble with your son. I know the doctor gave you a report that you don't like. I know that you're having issues because you and I have talked and you on my heart at 4.30 in the morning. Then you want me to marry folk and bury folk like God called me to marry people. Now listen, I bury them because, you know, they passed away. But a marriage ceremony, that's a professional service. God ain't called me to marry nobody. Read, give me chapter and verse that go ye in all the world and preach and marry people. No, that's a professional service. You want me to marry you free? Show now, for real? If the justice of the peace married you, that wouldn't be free. If when you go on that cruise together, the captain of the boat, I wish I had a witness here. You want me, let me get this straight. You want me to marry you free. When you don't wear any dresses, shoes, tuxedos, got Hennessy for the reception, and a band. 
a band inside the reception hall and out on the backyard another van, another band playing out there. And you want me to take out three hours of my time, come to a rehearsal while y'all all go over the length of a dress and the color of shoes. And then you want me to take my afternoon from my family when I could be doing something else at the game. I can go see Beyonce. And you want me to marry you? Free? You go to a lawyer and pay him in advance for work you don't even know if he's going to do or not. You go to a doctor an hour and a half and he will see you seven minutes and say, look like that medicine I gave you three weeks ago doing all right. You just going back home and come back again in another three weeks. And then you got to pay on your way out the door? And I'm the man of God living by faith. Ain't got no guarantees in the ministry. I'm living off the blessings of the people of God. And you won't bless me? You complain about me having an anniversary? When you get a bonus check every December on your job? Galatians 6 and 7 said, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows. That's your, but guess what? It ain't saying what folk think it's saying. They think it's saying you kill my cat, somebody kill your dog. No, 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 no. That's talking about how you respond to your pastor. It said, let Galatians 6, verse 6 and 7, said, let him that is taught in the word return to his teacher in all good things, things. That means if I teach you spiritual things, you're supposed to reward me with material things. Then it says, be not deceived, God is not marked, whatsoever man so. I become soil after I teach you. Whatever you put in my hand multiplies back to you. I'm going to tell you another one and I'm one minute from my seat. All over the church world, we got people jumping up about Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need according to the riches and glory. You need to bump up to verse 15. Because what Paul is talking about, he's thanking them for the love offering they gave him. And he says, because you have met my need. Then he turns around and says, I really don't have any need. See, some people don't want to give to the preacher because they say, oh, he got money. Look at how he drives. Look at what he wears. Look at how his wife wears. He, he, he don't need, he don't need. You don't give to me because I need it. You give to me because you need it. I'm soil for you. If I'm a multimillionaire, it ain't your business. I wouldn't, I wouldn't preach so hard and so loud, but they only gave me three nights. 
Really, really, really. And, I'm, and I ain't even half done with stuff I could say to you. But let me tell you this. The only reason verse 19 works, my God shall supply all of your needs. Who is the your? The person who gave to the apostle. God don't supply everybody's need when you robbing him. When you won't return to your teacher, things that you have, pro- you've lo- you sit under your pastor, heard him teach stuff, and you've gone out and that stuff worked. You came into him and said, I got a business idea. And he gave you counseling and prayed with He didn't even understand the business you were describing. But it worked. You're supposed to return to him. And if you do that, my God shall supply all of your need. If you handle your seed like seed, you won't be in distress. You won't be discontented. And you won't be in debt. Heads are bowed.